Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jorge Bonnet, who is the founder of Pure Motion, which is a fitness equipment company. And Jorge is also a former Olympic athlete. And today Jorge and I are going to be discussing the Pure Motion method. So kind of the method behind the madness of all of the unique products and equipment that Jorge has developed specifically for the fitness industry. Now, for more on Pure Motion, you can check out puremotion.net or find them on social media. Enjoy this episode. Jorge, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, I'm really uh, happy to be here. I'm thankful that uh, you decided to reach out uh, a week or two ago, and uh, here we are today. Yeah, yeah, and that was such a funny reach out because we ended up jumping on like a two-hour phone call on a Friday there. <laughs> So for people who maybe haven't jumped on a two-hour phone call and don't know, you know, your backstory or anything like that, maybe they haven't seen Pure Motion before, or maybe they didn't see the, I think, five times that you competed in the Olympics. So fill them in a little bit about your backstory. Let's uh, let's start from when you're about 18 years old there, when you were getting started with the Olympics. What was life like for you there, and what was your training like? Actually, I would say about 15 years old. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, um, start them young. Well, my life, my, my life was defined actually when I was six years old. I was bullied. I was bullied, uh, and thanks to the bullies, uh, today I have to say I am where I am because of that simple experience. You know, my father wanted us to defend ourselves, so that's how we got exposed to the sport of judo. Uh, we took care of the bullies in about three six months. Uh, that was a um, an easy task to resolve, and then after that, you know, you start winning. Uh, tournaments and whatnot as a judoka and then um, you go to a school I mean like middle school high school and if you're a judoka as a young age you will wrestle you will wrestle you know in uh, middle school high school and that's what happened to me I had, didn't have a choice so as a seventh grader I was already wrestling uh, varsity 105 I'm 200 today so um, uh, things were good things were good and um, when I was 15 uh, I was invited to be Part of the Puerto Rico national judo team. So put into perspective, I was 15 years old, but the average, the average judoka from the uh, any national team is around 23, 26 years old. So big gap, big difference. So um, that, but that was an opportunity. That was an opportunity and a choice. So uh, I decided to to take it. And uh, at the beginning, it was very rough because I mean, here you are a newbie, you fresh meat, and the you know the guy just wanted to pulverize you. Mm -hmm. And took about six months to to see the light, to see the light. And uh, you know that day, I slammed the crap out of one of one of my uh, teammates. And that day, I knew, I knew that uh, you know I was going to make it. So uh, uh, again, uh, so I became a part of the national team. I was the number one seated in my class in my weight class. But you know, if I was not competing, training, I was in the weight room. And what struck me early on during those days is the exercises and the uh, uh, the lift that was required to do to be a, a better judoka, a better wrestler, a better athlete, I always question it. I mean, I say, well, that doesn't look what I do in the on the mat to to you know to be a better judoka. I mean, like I don't I never really never really saw the 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 uh, benefit of um of a back squat, I hate that part behind my neck to the point that today, today I have two herniated cervical discs, C6, C7. And I have a friend of mine 
same age in the our 50s they play you know high level sports in in other other sports and um it's not a coincidence that we all share that same injury you know but there's no research that connect the barbell back squat with herniated cervical disc you know it's 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 funny but anyway um and also the um the olympic lift i was introduced to the damn you know olympic lift and the argument was the same this is how you develop power and uh, you know and again i, I asked my, my olympic lifting coach ramon why i need to learn your sport to be better at my sport it doesn't make any sense after you spend six i spent six months just learning the 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 snatch you know and um but the research supported all that you know long and then you know fast forward to all this uh, it, it got to the point that, you know, when I went through my, uh, yes, I, I went to my first Olympic game, 1984. If the audience want to know, Jorge, but did you get strong? Yeah. Jorge, did you get explosive? Yeah. Uh, does that mean that that is the end all be all? What I want to say, tell the audience is, ask me about, ask me about ache, uh, aches and pain. I mean, I was going through all these, you know, little shoulder thing here, little back thing over there. And, um, uh, and during that preparation, I was at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs as I was approaching to the Olympic Games. And the strength coach there, it's, you know, he was telling us, us means judoka, wrestlers, boxers. Hey, today we're going to max out, you know, and uh, back squat. I had to, uh, I maxed out at 415, okay? Boom, I hurt my back. And I'm thinking to myself, I have practice at five o'clock. The hell? So I told, you know, the coach was happy. Hold it, you got it, you got it. And I say, it hurts. My back hurts. I say, uh, go to PT, but you should be happy. Uh, you got, you know, you got a PR. I said, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you mean to tell me you don't care that you lifted more when you're not going to be able to do your sport? That was not, that was not, that was not important to me at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just there's a little, there's a little sense of accomplishment. Yeah, I don't. I don't get measured by lifting weight, dead weight, on the right. platform. Well, as you mentioned, you're not a power lifter. You competed in judo. I, I'm not. I mean, do you need to be explosive? Do you need to develop, you know, explosive? Do you need to develop uh, 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 force production, rate of force production? Absolutely. But back then, that is what we knew best. That is what our coaches knew in their heart was in the best interest of their athlete. That was 1983-84, for God's sake, it's 2023. Why would we keep doing the same shit, okay? <laughs> and when I say that, you know, I, I don't say, you know, that necessarily that I am uh, totally upset, but I, I, I do believe, I do believe, you know, that once you know better, do better, okay? As strength coaches, I roll, and I said, as strength coaches, because I am a certified strength and conditioning coach by the NSCA, who wrote the book. And I, I call that book the old playbook. And I'm going to explain, you know, why I call it old playbook in, in, a, in a minute. But um, as strength coaches, you know, one of the, our roles when it comes to develop force and rate of force production is to develop the famous triple extension. Ankle, knees, and hip. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that is the reason why we incorporated those lifts back then because, you know, coaches... Coaches, they did their own research through observation. And scientists, you also use observation as a way to begin uh, or question a, uh, or formulate a hypothesis. And from there, you know, they, they, they design their own, 
their own research. So uh, coaches didn't have that back in the 70s and 80s. But they realized that, you know, our athletes, they're athletic, but they need to go str uh, get strong. So what they did, they looked over the fence and asked themselves, who's strong? So there, there was powerlifter. Okay? They're a little strong. I'm not going to question that. Copy paste. Okay. And then they say, okay, now we were successful at that. Okay, now, but they need to get also explosive. Who is explosive? Well, repeat the same pro, you know, the, the same experience from last time. Go outside, the, you know, over the fence, and who is explosive? Oh, there, there they are, Olympic lifters. Copy paste. Okay, without questioning. Okay, it was a reactive, a reactive uh, protocol. Okay, so then. Um, the coaches, you know, went one more step and said, okay, we need, they need to get big. So who is the big? Back then, oh my God, look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. Copy, paste. Okay. That is the roots or the origins of the strength and conditioning uh, model that the NSCA adopted. Okay. It's a copy, paste system. Daniel, and when you copy, paste like that, you're going to copy the good and the bad. So visually, you copy the good. What you didn't copy, you know, what you copied that you didn't know is what I call the side effects, you know, because those lifts, those lifts were designed to win on the platform, not to define or enhance athletic performance uh, or longevity, uh, you know, in the, you know, for other uh, physical tasks or athletic events. At that point, I realized that, you know what? I understand that we need, to, we need to develop a triple extension, but those lifts, those lifts, you know, yes, they fulfill, you know, force production, rate of force production, but there are some biomechanic flaws that doesn't make those lifts 100% joint friendly. And if I am bullshitting, I'm going to go back and refer to 1983 Al-Jadar. Al-Jadar is the power lifter himself. If you don't know who is Al-Jadar, you know, besides being a power lifter, well, he is the reason why the hex bar exists or the trap bar exists. He designed it, he developed it. Is he a scientist with biomechanics? No. How, why he invented the hex bar? Pain. Why? Because barbell deadly was killing him. He didn't know why, he, knows, he, he knew the pain was gonna cripple him. So he realized, I said, wait a minute, if I change the load to the side, to the midline of my body, and I can perform that triple extension by keeping the load on the side of the body, I don't feel pain. I mean, I don't know why, but it feels good. It's the same movement pattern of carrying a, a kettlebell or dumbbells on each side of your arm. It's the same movement pattern. Guess what? That is the correct way to do a, a, a deadlift. That is, that is a... Uh, an athletic or fitness deadlift. The barbell deadlift, that's a competitive competitive deadlift versus athletic joint-friendly deadlift. Okay? And that's not the only specialty bar that exists either, right? We have well, Exactly, but that was the first specialty bar that was developed. The reason, because the barbell, uh, the trap bar is joint-friendly, you know, from a biomechanic standpoint, it has to do with the concept of uh, low placement, which is on the midline, and joint moment arm, okay? Where mm -hmm. I, I maintain proper joint mom, uh, moment arm uh, at the ankle, knees, and, and hip, but specifically at the knee and the hip through entire, the entire range of motion. That's why the study, I think it's a Swenson study, 2012, 
uh, in England, 2012. Okay, Alcatraz invented the trap bar in, in 1985. Right, so it, so it took, took 20, 30 years for us to yes, catch up to it. For 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 another for a researcher to say, uh, yeah, you can leave more. Uh, you can do. You can leave more weight doing a trap bar deadlift than a barbell deadlift. I said, no shit. Finally, <laughs> somebody said it, but he didn't explain why. Okay, he didn't explain why. He just said, you know, he looked at the statistics and said, you can lift. I think it was fifty kilograms or fifty pounds more, you know, uh, on a trap bar than a barbell deadlift. But he failed. He failed, and uh, I don't know if it was intentionally or unintentionally, not to say why. But imagine if you would say why. We go back to the concept of moving arm. Imagine the impact of barbell sales around the world. It would be it would have been negatively impacted. Mm -hmm. But guess what? The sale of trap bar would have been positively impacted. Right. It's a simple it's a simple fix. Okay, from going you know going from uh, a competitive lift to a to a more of a, an athletic, joint friendly lift. Okay, mm -hmm. that's not the only the only example. I mean, power lifters themselves. Again, they, 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 they know what I'm talking about because they are the one that also invented or they went from the uh, Bible bench press to the multi-grip football or Swiss bar uh, chest press. Why? Pain. Pain. They switch it. You know, and what, what, what are we doing so far? We have changed the grip from the Bible deadlift overhand to neutral on the trap bar. And then the uh, Swiss bar or the football bar, you know, now we're leveraging or balancing, you know, the overhand grip. We push the elbow too far to more neutral. Here we go again, neutral grip. And I'm going to give you the last one. The last one is, you know, uh, power lifter that recognize again the, the biomechanic problems with the back squat, viable back squat. Why is it that they invented then? The safety squat bar, and they call it safety. If you are a weightlifter, and that's all you do, why do you call it safety? Oh, from all these nagging pains. Nagging pain from doing what? The same exercises that you do in the weight room, which is what you do in competition, is is is, is breaking you down. It's crippling you. So through pain, you don't. You know they are not physical therapists. Okay, they don't need a, a PT to tell them if you keep doing this, you're going to break, but you need to fix it. And how to fix it? Again, change the tool so it fits you. Design user-defined user tool to make it joint-friendly. That's why they designed the safety squat bar. Pure Motion designed the wishbone, which is similar, but it's used for the line, for lineman training over 12 years ago. Okay, and and um and again, it's it's not rocket scientists. It just you have to you know sometimes you know in this industry here's a problem, Daniel. This industry, we learn a lot by reading and watching. Another way of learning is by feeling. <laughs> yep. And how many people are actually, you know, doing the things that they preach about on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like shitload. I see a lot of so-called fitness professional, you know, and, and I'm not going to mention name here, but I, I see a lot, a lot of um, fitness quote unquote experts, uh, a lot of uh, physical therapists with a huge following, you know, on the on the internet. And take a close look. They don't show, they use a model. They don't do the movement. They show a model. 
they talk sexy. Well, they talk anatomically sexy <laughs> by using all these lingo, all these words, all these phrases that they sound very convincing to a young guy that wants to be a trainer or athletic trainer or a physical therapist. I always make the analogy of a lawyer. You, you need to hire a lawyer. You got, you know, you have a case, and then you know this lawyer talks to you so, uh, you know, eloquent. Sounds so eloquent that you say, "Man, this guy is an expert." He might be a bullshitter, but you don't know better, so so you hire him or you hire her. Mm -hmm. You see, and that happens every time, all the time in um, in this industry. So right, right. We we end up using like very odd terminology, I'll say, to almost market or sell ourselves in a way, right? So we'll come up with some, you know, explanation of like, well, you know, you have increased lordosis here, inc increased kyphosis here, your, you know, this muscle isn't firing, which if you want to get me on a soapbox, you know, have me or have someone come into me and tell me their glutes aren't firing. It's like, well, you walked in here, so your glutes are working. Um, you know, there's so many different things that the industry and profession in the health and fitness space is using to sell services when in reality, it's, it's not actually like what we think it is, you know? Um, so you mentioned about the barbells, uh, such as the safety squat bar, the multi-grip barbell and how, you know, it's literally not necessarily a safety squat. It's literally just a mechanically correct squat. And you also mentioned that everything, the hex bar, the safety squat bar, and the multi-grip barbell all use a more neutral grip. Why is it that a neutral grip or a more neutral alignment would be more joint friendly? Or why might that feel better to, you know, someone using one of those bars? Well, the, the, the easiest answer is for you to feel it, you know, <laughs> but if you stand, if you stand, you know, uh, you know you're, you're standing and you relax your arms, relax your hands. You know, if you if you look at yourself in the mirror, you see your, your your palm facing you know facing your legs. Okay, that's neutral right there. And if you elevate if you elevate your arms in a shoulder shoulder flexion, you know notice that your hands you know but naturally naturally keeps a neutral grip. Okay, so so um, but uh, I want to go I want to go to um, in a, in a slightly different direction just just to make sure the message is communicated. Um, <laughs> You know, to a way that that it makes sense because I don't want to go and pick little, like, pick details. Okay. okay, I want to give you the the reason why the reason why, you know, I identify all these challenges, problems. Okay, yep. and um, so so our audience can, can understand the why behind it, the why you know the reason why pure motion, pure motion was not just created in an isolated island. Okay, is a is a ramification of what I call the the old playbook. The old playbook, like I say, is a copy paste system. Copy paste system and was reactive as you know as there was a need you know uh, we we added we added and um and that's how the book is is it's been written okay so um so so the model today is like this it's a loop it's a loop so you 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 go into the gym you know or the high school or college whatever and you train okay and you get strong you, you get big you get strong you get faster you, you know explode you get all that but then the, the naggy pain starts popping you know. So the coach says, uh, you know, go to PT. And then, you know, you go to PT and PT, what they do, they treat the symptoms. They treat the symptom usually with manipulate, hand manipulation, okay? And then of course that feels good. You know, all that Ferragon, hand manipulation, you know, uh, all these record, uh, corrective exercises and whatnot, I, you know, I just call it muscle masturbation. So <laughs> once you feel good, I mean, that, that's, you know, that, that's pretty much what it is. And then once you feel good, I said, okay, son, 
uh, now uh, you feel good? I say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Okay, go back. And then you go back and do the same exercises that you know gave you all the good, but also all these collateral damage. So you stay in this loop, but because you're young, you know, you are in your 14, 15, uh, you go to high school, you go to college, um, you can overcome all those naggy pains and collateral damage. But let me tell you, you ready, you ready to uh, put your, your body in this, um, you know, with generating all these chronic injuries that you think that's normal, that that's soreness. And then once you are past all that athletic lifestyle, you're in your late 30, 40, 50, shit start popping. So how come is it, and you're still working out, how come is it all these movements that was, you know, gave me all the good, these are the same movements that are breaking me down. Something is not right. And guess what? You are right. Something's not right. Because I went through the same thing. Okay? So that, that's, how, that, that's how my journey started it. Okay? So here's the problem with the old, old playbook. It's a system, like, like I said, was built from the outside in. As problems arrive, you, you, know, you went out and you brought in. Okay? So the mindset, you know, that mindset of building this strength and conditioning model from the outside in by incorporating uh, uh, training modalities. If you think about it, all these training modalities, uh, power lifting, Olympic lifting, uh, bodybuilding, gymnastics, CrossFit brought gymnastics, okay? Um, and then, you know, that create its own psychological or side effects of collateral damage. So what happened? Okay, well, who is good with stiffness and, and, and flexibility? Yoga, Pilates, who is good with, you know, uh, nagging pains? Clinicians, you know, chiropractors, physical therapy, athletic training, just bring it in. It's a system that we add. We keep adding and adding and adding, okay? So the question is, you know, you know, for how long this is gonna go? See, it's a system that is effective. Yes, you're gonna get strong, you're gonna get all the good, but it's inefficient. Eventually you're gonna end up in the OR with that joint replacement. We're just delaying that. We're just delaying that. And here's the reason why, all this. Because we always, on the go, we always reacting. We never ask the simple questions, Daniel. Because I, I, this is what I face. I face, I got to the point that I realized, wait a minute, what is fitness? What is fitness supposed to do? If fitness, fitness is supposed to help me, not hurt me. Fitness is not a sport, CrossFit. It's not a fucking sport, but it will help you or get you or prepare you to play that sport. But you cannot be both. You're either one or the other, but not both. And once, you know, but before you even define fitness, you have to ask yourself, What's the purpose of the human body? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, as we were talking about this last week, uh, you know, at first I was thinking, you know, the human body is meant to move. But then you were talking and it's like, it's not just movement. It's movement with a purpose or a reason because movement we don't have control over. Passive movement, that's actually a big injury risk, right? If we can't control something, but it moves in a certain way, then something anatomically is going to have to take that force. Something is going to have to accept yeah. that force. So it becomes movement with a purpose. But yeah. what that I mean, purpose yeah, is, right. 
you, um, I believe, narrowed down that purpose into four ing things, things that end with ing. I believe is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. You know, but so 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 here's the thing: CrossFit they got they they pretty much uh, they came closer to the definition of fitness. Basically, is you know the purpose of fitness is to increase uh, increase work capacity. Okay, and I said, okay, how? So what are the movements that you're going to do to increase, you know, work capacity? So it just they left it there. Okay? Yeah. So, uh, so that's what prompted me to ask this simple question: What is the purpose of the human body? So I have to go back in history, because the last 50, 60 years of the fitness uh, uh, industry doesn't didn't give an accurate answer that I was good with or satisfied with. You, you, so you mean I, to tell me that me doing like bicep curl, like finishers every day to try and get a cute girl at the gym to notice me, that's not a purpose of fitness? That's vanity. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a purpose. There, there's a purpose for that. So, you know, people have, you know, people knowingly on that, Daniel, they have three purposes when, when they perform, when they are in a fitness program or strength and conditioning program. It doesn't matter. It's going to be either vanity, performance, or longevity. Yep. Okay. That's it. I mean, even if you know it or not, the young generation, they care more about, you know, physique, vanity, and performance if they play sport. Okay. Uh, longevity, they don't give a shit. Yeah. Okay. Now, a guy like me, now in my 50s, longevity is first. But guess what? I still like to be, feel athletic and I still want to look good. Yeah. With my girlfriend. Okay. So I wanted all three. That's what that was my whole thing. I want all three. I'm greedy. I want, I want to make the cake and I want to eat it too. Throughout yeah, my sure. life. Yep. So if tomorrow I don't wake up, that's fine. Okay, so I went back in history and I started reading about what? About ancient civilization. Mm -hmm. When I got to that topic, ancient civilization, um, I noticed a common denominator uh, when it comes to physical work of these empires that explain why they were so badass so, uh, and why they, they have a dynasty. I'm yep. talking about the first Chinese empire, Mongolian, Aztec, Mayas, Greeks, uh, Egyptians, Romans, Spaniards, you name it. Okay. Some of these empires, they fought each other every day. Some never even, you know, they never knew the existence of the other. Okay. But they have, I noticed that they had three foundational physical tasks that explain why they were so successful. Lifting, fighting, sprinting, dancing. Lifting, odd objects, heavy objects to build structures. Okay, not, 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 not to live a barbell inside a rack. Okay, that's what I call purpose. You know, bridges, uh, uh, home, castles, walls. Okay, purpose-based physical tasks, lifting, fighting, okay, fighting, whatever tools they use, I don't care. How they perform those, those fights, how they move their body to, to, to win battles, not one time, not for a month, for a century, needed to be amazing. Okay, sprinting means any, any kind of locomotive gate motion. From, from, you know, moving the masses to, to a new territory or to fight or, or, or to run away from danger. And once you were successful at any of those three, okay, or all three, lifting, fighting, sprinting, dancing, what do you do? I mean, lifting, fighting, sprinting, what do you do? You celebrate. How? Dance. But dancing is also great, a great moment to find your mate. But dancing in our world today is what? Sack, speed, agility, quickness. Quickly. And if you look up, if you think about it, those four foundational physical tasks, lifting, fighting, sprinting, dancing, is perform how? On your feet. On your feet. So at that moment, uh, uh, I really, that's when, you know, 
I was I was so excited. I was in my office. I was just jumping like a little kid in Walt Disney. You know, I said, got it. This is the reason why we evolved this way. That's why we have this head, trunk, arms, legs, okay? To perform this foundational physical task. So the movement that we do at Pure Motion are rooted, founded to support those four foundational physical tasks. Now right. that is powerful, that makes sense. Okay, now I don't need, I don't need movement or exercises that people do in a platform to win, to, to, you know, to build strength, power, speed, and athleticism for my athletic task or, you know, tactical or, uh, or uh, industrial physical task needs or requirement, okay? So, and the, the, and the other thing is that, I mean, uh, I don't need to, I don't need to abide to the equipment, the tool for me to adapt to. Okay. I want the equipment, the tool to adapt to me. So once I went through all this uh, revelation, I guess, I came up with uh, well, the pure motion method is, is it's, um, I like to use mathematical models, okay, uh, or mathematical equation. Okay. So, so to keep it simple, because I, you know, I, I don't like to carry a test, a, a book under my arm. I like to keep things very simple. So, so the pure motion method, you know, uh, taking this little story was founded on the following, you know, four basic principles. Number one is, you know, you need to define the movement and the movement, you know, it needs to be number one, number one, first and foremost, joint friendly. Okay. What kind of movement? Well, we know that now push, pull, rotation, gate motion, okay, squat pattern. I don't care if it's a hip hinge or knee, you know, uh, or knee uh, dominant, but you know, I follow, I, I put those in that one category, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, the squat pattern and um, uh, complexes, a combination of any of those uh, five that I just mentioned to you, the five are push, pull, rotation, locomotion, and gate change. Okay. So, uh, but now you can perform those movements in any type, you can use any type of load, meaning bilateral, unilateral, or alternating, okay? Number three, well, if you define load, you also, you know, if you have load, you also need to have what? Direction. So I'm gonna perform this movement using different loads, but also using varied direction. The direction could be linear, you know, in the, in the fitness and conditioning world, even in, in the uh, clinic, uh, physical therapy world, we call it uh, vertical horizontal, if it's linear, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about force vector, okay? Remember, force vector has two variables, magnitude, which is the load, how heavy it is, how light it is. But the, the variable that is underrated that we don't even, we, we hardly even talk about is the direction. And both are equally important. It's not that just load, but the old playbook focused so much on you know, getting strong, get, getting explosive. See what I'm saying? Getting big. So, the, you know, the number, you know, they put so much emphasis, you know, it's the low, the magnitude is overrated. The direction, underrated. A pure motion, I balance those two. Low and direction, they go together because th those two variables dictate what a force vector is going to look like. And that force vector could be linear. You know, in, in our industry, we talk about vertical and horizontal. Okay. What about diagonal? Because there is diagonal. There is diagonal. And most of sport occurs 
diagonally in nature, right? I don't think I've ever seen a soccer player who shoots a soccer shot by lifting their leg straight up. And I don't think I've ever seen a baseball pitcher throw a pitch where their arm moves straight down or straight across their body body, unless they're maybe like a sidearm kind of pitcher. Everyone throws over the top or three quarters. Like there's a diagonal component to the force they're putting on the ball. You're 100% right. So, you know, just to keep it, you know, even, even simpler than that, you think about a football lineman. You know, every time that, that ball is snapped, the D-line, that guy, the first move is going to be diagonal, okay? So if you look from the side, basically what, you know, to produce that diagonal force, there's two other forces that natural forces that occur for him to overcome so he can perform his, that first, uh, that first uh, movement. You know, he's overcoming two forces, the vertical force, which is uh, gravity. Think about the right triangle, okay? Your Pythagoras, you know, right triangle, okay? You got gravity, which is the y-axis. And then you have friction. Friction is the x-axis, the horizontal axis. So every time a D-line performs that first step, it's, he's overcoming gravity and friction to move or project his body in that diagonal angle, which is the hypotenuse in the force vector, we call it the resultant line. Mm -hmm. Okay? And if we're going to talk about the set principle, specific adaptation in post demand, why we keep doing vertical squat? Now, the argument is, Jorge, that will transfer to, to a D-line. Yeah, but you leave me more than the table. You, you, I mean, you, you're being complacent. I mean, you are really, um, uh, yeah, you're leaving a lot of stuff on the table. You, you're getting uh, uh, complacent by just using gravity in the weight room, but in reality, you need to use gravity and friction. You're forgetting friction, okay? That's why, you know, I, I, I designed the, the CJ2s and all. That's why I love landmine training and its attachment because it is one of the most cost-effective, simple way to work the diagonal angle. Nobody in the landmine training out there even mentioned this. 15 years ago, you know, we were working on all this. That's why we have all these attachments, okay? And the CJ2 kind of like, you know, reflect that bilateral, you know, uh, motion to do, to do those presses. Again, there, there's more to it, okay? But again, when it comes to force vectors, you know, uh, we have horizontal, uh, vertical, horizontal, and diagonal. Diagonal can also have different, it could be diagonal ascending, descending, there's a shitload. But then, as we look to direction, not only the force line can be linear, but going back to your baseball example, can be also angular. Okay, you guys know you don't. You guys can relate to that uh, when we talk about the concept of rotation. But rotation itself doesn't give you the whole story. In the fitness and physical therapy world, we talk about rotation. You know what? What, what do we think? We think about uh, uh, Russian twists. We think about all these med ball stuff you know, throwing against the wall. You know, I used to do that. Why don't do it? Because, you know, there's better way to do it. Okay, there's, there's more efficient ways that throwing a ball against against the wall. Okay, but we're not gonna get into that today. Okay, uh, the Palov press. Palov press is one point in the whole circle. So what are you gonna train the whole, you know, what are you gonna, I'm supposed to work one point in the circle, which is the Palov press? Why don't you think about angular displacement, which is mean, you know, rotate, Rotate, but keep the, the, the tension as constant as possible, at least for a quarter turn, okay? Where not only you are working tension using an you know, angular motion, but you also 
training your body to actually rotate. With the pallet press, you cannot rotate. You're just training, you know, it's an ISO hole. It's an ISO hole. And the claim could be maybe, well, maybe this guy, this athlete is coming from an injury or whatnot. And you just start right there. Okay. But if you're going to progress it, you know, I like dynamic movement. And, and performing rotational strength on your feet where you can perform different angular motion, angular motion, or think about, uh, I call it orbits. Okay. Now, let me give you an analogy. I love, you love analogy. You know, I do. You teach, you I say, do. Yeah, you teach using an uh, analogy. So when it comes to core training, specifically rotation, uh, I go back to think about atom. Okay, At atomo, atom, A-T-O-M. Yes, that's what yep. I'm talking about. Yep, atom. Okay? Yep. Yeah. So you have the nucleus. Inside the nucleus, you have the proton and the neutron chart. What's outside? Outside are electrons that are traveling around that nucleus. Okay. So the nucleus is you. And imagine performing a baseball throw. I don't care if you are infielder, outfielder, or pitcher. That throw belongs or can be, can be, you know, will, will fit into what I call the diagonal orbit. There's two, right and left. Okay. The goal swing. The goal swing is is, is an, again, it's an orbital angular movement, but the orbit in that particular in this particular movement is lateral. Okay, it's a, it's a circle right in front of you. Okay, in that frontal plane, call it you know lateral orbit. Okay, then you have the horizontal orbit. The horizontal orbit is that traditional choppers. Okay, that we do with the cable machine or with band. Okay, and then we have what I call the vertical orbit. Vertical orbit. Think about you know a leg raise, a sit up. Okay, so a plank is just one point, one point of the vertical orbit. Okay, uh, uh, is it good? Yeah, it's good. But I, again, I favor more dynamic movement because that's what we do uh, outside the gym. Think about lifting, fighting, sprinting, dancing, all dynamic. Okay, but I think there's room also for, you know, ISO holds and, uh, and, and, and whatnot. So once you define the movement, the load and the direction, then you can bring, you can bring the firecracker, you can be the fireworks, intensity. Intensity. What is intensity? Well, it think is. about think about the force velocity curve. Power. Power is the formula that embraces what I just said. Power equals what? Force times speed. Okay. Put force on the vertical axis and put speed or velocity on the y on the x axis. Okay. The relationship is going to be a curve. Okay. So that means that you should be able to train intensity from from lightweight to heavyweight to slow and fast or anything in between, okay? And you can do that at any point in your life. I don't care how young you are, adult or an old fart like me you are. You can train along those, you know, along that curve. The problem with the conventional setting, especially in the high school collegiate setting, is that, again, because we inherit, you know, all these powerlifting, Olympic lifting protocols and their programs, you know, we spend a lot of time in the weight room training what? Training, you know, uh, very slow but very heavy. Okay, uh, you know, high, high, uh, high, uh, working these high maxes. You know, 85, 90 percent, 70 percent, and we stay there all year round. Okay, and then we, with the, you know, we, we do that in the gym, and then we go outside and we do what? We go to the other side of the spectrum, and we're, you know, explosive. You know, first ebb. You know, sprint. What happened in the middle? There's in the middle nothing of the, in the middle. There's nothing in the middle, but the middle. 
it's it's what I call fight training, fight mode. Is is you know it's, this is how let's say CrossFit train, you know high stamina. There's a, a lot of lactic acid production. It's it's a uh, it's it's a uh, it's very very challenging, not only physically but also mentally and emotionally. Okay, but I agree with that type of training. See, as a judo as a wrestler, that's how I make my living training in that zone. What I learned as a strength coach is that when you that for me that zone is the foundation. Lifting, fighting, sprinting, and dancing, you can categorize it somewhere there. So when you train, when it comes to intensity in your program, I like to train, I don't care if it's an athlete or a Joe Blow, okay, or, or uh, Miss Smith, housewife, they all train there. You know why? Because it's easier, it's easier to move the needle to the left which means, you know, force production, you know, very heavy, or I can shift it to the right, which is more, you know, on the, on the, on the uh, velocity side. But here's another benefit, you know? You work in stamina, and if you work stamina, you're also gonna work your aerobic capacity. I have learned over the years that, for example, uh, an aerobic sport, Boxing, judo, combat sport. We don't need to do five, 10 miles. Run, jogging. We don't. Actually, it's counterproductive. It's totally counterproductive. Think about, you're moving the needle to the marathoner. Think of a marathoner, Kenya, Ghana, how they look, very, very, very skinny. Every time you do this long, slow running, if you are a, 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 a anaerobic type sport, you're moving against the way the sport requires for you to perform, okay? So this is what I learned. And again, uh, it was, uh, there was research, it's research now out there uh, in 2014, 15, there's research that, research that support what I'm about to say. I went through this on my own back in 2012. So I, I was training in, in the metabolic zone, okay? Or anaerobic, uh, anaerobic zone, doing multiple type of movement, push, pull, rotation, level change. You can call it hit today, they call it hit today. Okay, very little risk, but the weight, the load was not necessarily uh, light. Some station light, some station heavy. Then you know, this is what happened. I said, damn, my endurance might be, you know, you know, might be on the floor. So I went to the local gym, I got on the treadmill and my benchmark for me always been mile and a half. Yeah, so judoka we used to train mile and a half, two miles, stop, okay? That particular day, actually I did two miles. What happened that day, I thought it was a fluke and I repeated it again. I usually average, I'm, I'm a bad runner. I usually average eight minute a mile, okay? 7.30, but let's say eight minute a mile. Okay, that day I averaged 14, which is seven minutes a mile. I said, wow, well, I feel good. So I'll do it again. So I came back two weeks later, I went down again to 12, six minute a mile. What's going on here? What's going on is that I realized is that by training in the in the in the metabolic zone using joint friendly natural movement patterns using not only different loads but multiple direction the body adapts in such a way that when it's time to do one specific task let's say running for that time you know it's it becomes super efficient okay and again this is not in the books the way I'm explaining to you, but we have proven this again, again, and again, okay? So, so 
Um, I know I talk a lot, so I don't know if you have, uh, you know, I can see your mind kind of like spinning a little bit and whatnot, but uh, you, you know, you, you are free to shoot because I can keep going. <laughs> Starting a while back with the said principle, right? Specific adaptation to impose demand. So if what we are doing doesn't match what we need to be doing, then we have a natural imbalance. And the more we can make our training look like what we actually have to do, the better our result is going to be, right? So um, Absolutely. There's, a four, there's a four zone system. I believe it was proposed by uh, Pival, um, the uh, Russian kettlebell individual. And in that system, there's zone one, two, three, and four. And zone one is general physical preparation. And they make a case for, we need to spend the majority of our time in that zone. But in reality, most training programs for a lot of individuals are actually more zone three and zone four, which is our highly specialized type of lift. So zone four, great example of that would be the deadlift. So if we are a, you know, athlete, a field sport athlete, um, whether it be hockey, soccer, lacrosse, whatever, that needs to do a lot of general movements then why is it we're going to spend the majority of our training time doing something highly specialized like a deadlift? You know, at the end of the day, it's better to, in my opinion, instead of trying to force feed one specific motion over and over and over again, why not let the body develop more of a movement vocabulary and teach people to be very good at solving their movement problems? This is something that I actually relate back to my capstone research project in school on where we compared two different manual therapy techniques on ankle movement. So it's pretty well known that ankle dorsiflexion is the closed pack position of the ankle. So if we put someone in a more closed pack position of a joint, it's more stable. So what did we do? We compared a mobilization with movement with a uh, soft tissue mobilization technique and found both of them increased ankle dorsiflexion movement in athletes. So you stop there and it's like, okay, great, huge win. Well, guess what? We also tested something called Y balance. It's a functional balance measurement. And there was no improvement in balance. So even though we increased someone's range of motion at the ankle, even though we put them in what should be a more mechanically stable position, balance didn't actually change. And why is that? One of my proposed explanations is athletes are master compensators. Athletes yes. can have, you know, various structural or functional imbalances and still find a way to play their sport. So, you know, we become so obsessed with, you know, a perfect repetition when in reality, I think it would be better if we could just expose people to so many different movements and so many different motions to make them a better mover, a better lifter, fighter, sprinter, and dancer in general. Mm. And I'll go a step further on that topic. And, you know, as you were talking there about everything from the said principle, all the way up to where we left off on force velocity curve and power production and so many other things, you know, if I spend all of my time training one thing, one thing, one thing over and over and over again, then I become very good at one thing, but I don't need to be good at just one thing. I need to be good at a lot of things. I need to be able to speed up, slow down, change direction. I need to be able to rotate. I need to be able to move up, move down. I need to move in so many different planes and I need to do that at so many different speeds. So I need to really expose myself to so many different things. And I think when you do that, you unlock a new level of athletic potential. I don't have any study to back that up, 
I just, as you mentioned before, we do observation. Well, I turn on the TV and I watch football and I see a guy like Patrick Mahomes. And as Patrick Mahomes is playing, I can't help. Sometimes when he throws the ball, he looks like a basketball player. He runs right up to the line and he just kind of alley-oops it right over top and hits a three or four yard pass. Sometimes he throws it sidearm. I don't, I don't usually see football quarterbacks throwing a spiral sidearm. Sometimes he throws over the top. He does a lot of different general movements, doing them really well. Um, so let's take it from there. Let's take it yep. from there. Because uh, you, you're talking about something that, you know, uh, is very, um, there's a contrast. There's a contrast be- between the athletic movements that we do on the field, on the yep. court, um, let's say, you know, professional athletes, or even, you know, high school collegiate. And then it's funny that in the weight room, we make them coaches, you know, they want this athlete to move very robotic. You know, not only, we, you know, the, the sagittal plane, square, gravity-based is overrated, but now there are proponents out there, you know, they call themselves movement specialists that want to put these individuals, you know, either athletes or non-athletes, in these robotic movements, you know, uh, and, and, and the, you know, the argument is, you know, well, this is how we stabilize and we need to stabilize this joint and mobilize this joint. And then, you know, they, they, they touch them, you know, touch their scapula, touch here, touch there, and then fire this. No, and then you look, I'm looking at the whole shit. I'm like, man, you look like Frankenstein moving. And, and where's the connection? Where is the carryover? You know, where, what, you know what is the magical thing that that those movement either static or with some kind of mobility is going to transfer to the field you know the, the my, my my answer to that is it doesn't it just doesn't for instance let's go back to not, not only re, uh, reiterate what you just said you know and uh, what i just shared with you but let, let's go back to 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 dorsey the you know dorsey flexion topic that, that you mentioned about so people ask me how do you do a lot of uh you know, uh, 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 corrective exercises or uh, um, uh, assessment, you know, when you see a client do all this testing and whatnot. No, the workout movements should be your assessment. They should be corrective. They should be activated as you strengthen at the same time, okay? Here's the problem. Every time you do too much or too little, you're gonna create imbalances. I'm talking about your, 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 your workout programs, your strength and conditioning program. When you emphasize too much of something and too little something, you're going to create problems or imbalances. And then the, the, the traditional coach or strength coach is going to think, well, you need to now work on corrective exercises and mobility to make... No. Let me go back to squat. Okay, You know how we squat uh, or the way I promote squatting? I, I, you know, we squat using... Uh, ankle joint function. Okay, I use squat. I do yes. I do the traditional neutral, you know, neutral uh, ankle squat, like traditional body weight squat or uh, trap bar, trap bar deadlift. It's a squat pattern, but that's not it. If I want to, you know, if I want to make sure that I'm gonna, you know, be using magnitude load and direction. Okay, the direction is vertical. Okay. Well, we also squat or create a squat pattern using a uh, a diagonal angle, putting the individual in dorsiflexion. Okay, that's why we do the uh, the uh, the wishbone, for instance. Okay, um, 
uh, another example of that would be, you know, uh, uh, a sled. You know, this locomotive, but it's a squat pattern. You know, there's, there's triple extension, ankle, knees, and hip, and it's dorsiflexion. Okay. See, our squat pattern, I don't take it from barbell squat. I'll take it from the natural, uh, natural uh, buck jump, broad jump. Okay. That is the natural, you know, uh, 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 squat pattern. So I take that, that natural body weight movement, understand the biomechanics, and apply the load without affecting biomechanics. Okay. Then another way of squatting is in plantar flexion. Okay. Think about hack squat. Okay, in a machine or using a body weight, you know, a, a, a suspension device. Okay, but there are ways that you can perform a squat pattern in plantar flexion. But you can also perform a squat pattern, specifically a lunge, where one foot is in aversion and the other foot is in inversion. You can do it with slam boards. If you don't have slam board, you can go outside, go to a heel, stand laterally. See the slope of the heel. Okay, will give you, I mean, within the slope of the heel, you go outside today, look at a heel, and you can train. You can do a squat pattern in dorsiflexion. I call it the jockey squat. You ever seen uh, horse racing? Look at those jockeys. Okay, they do, they do a squat. They, they squat to, to win races in dorsiflexion. Okay, that would be facing, facing up the hill. If you face down the hill, you're going to do a squat in plantar flexion. If you're going to do it laterally in a split lunge, one, the front foot is going to be in aversion and the back foot is going to be in inversion. Balance your strength. See? Leave no gaps. And if you perform a true need analysis for a strength and conditioning program, for your clinic, your private facility, or school, college, or, or uh, professional sport, not incorporating force lines, understanding what are the force vectors, involved in that sport, you're guessing. You're guessing or you're leaving, or you're leaving money on the table. I mean, again, the NSCA, one of the, you know, they're very big into performing, you know, a, a need analysis when it comes to, when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, understanding the, uh, the, the needs of the sport or the physical task. But when do you see in that need analysis, the inclusion of force lines? Is one of the most underrated variables of training that we don't use. It sounds like I'm going to deviate a little bit, but it's, it's related to this. One of the biggest worries that I have as a strength coach is how the industry is moving in the direction that it's moving. We are, we are shifting, coaches are shifting their eyes away from the individual, from the athlete, from the client, from the patient. The eyes are shifting to the com computer screen, to whatever, to whatever, you know, whatever that computer screen, uh, you know, that graph looks like, numbers look like. And we are not, you know, we, we, we're losing, we're losing that connection, you know, with, with the athlete. You know, look at any, any division one, you know, uh, program. Now they have this fourth velocity curve, you know, or, or this uh, screen above the power rack. Coaches are not looking anymore about the individuals. They're looking at the, at, the, at the computer screen. Am I against technology? No, what I'm, what I'm against is this. Science will never replace the art of coaching. Science can support the art of coaching. It's two different things. 
And the reason why I'm very, I'm very firm about this is because there's a difference between Draco, which is, you know, that Rocky movie, Draco and um and uh and Rocky. See, Draco wants to behave like a robot. Rocky behaved like a human being, like a, you know, a true athlete with a soul. If we were machines, robots, then we don't need coaches. We just need the computers. But we're not. We are human beings. We have minds and we have soul. And I think that, you know, that's that's one of my biggest worries these days. The this this mindset, this perception that, you know, uh, science technology, you know, is it's is the end all be all and you know it's gonna solve all our problems. I'd say bullshit. Total bullshit. You can look at it. I tell you right now, I, I know Division One football programs. They have all the bells and whistles, all the gadgets. How come the injury rate is still the same or higher? What I mean, what are you measuring? Yeah, and I and mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You have all these bells and whistles, but you still do back squat. You still do power clean. Guess what? Truth, you know, treat, treat the cost of the problem, even if that means killing the sacred cow. And I am very uh, passionate about this because guess what? I want I want those kids in school, college, and professional sports to have a life after they after the curtain comes down and not suffer from you know injuries due to the way they were training in the weight room. And I'm I'm saying this from ops. I've seen kids that I know them very well personally. That their their careers being you know and their life being crashed because of you know negligence, negligence and guess what? For me, it's a crime as a strength coach when your kids are injured in the weight room. But in school, they can get away with it; they're protected. If, they, if that happened in my place, I get sued. So my point is, there's a better way. There's a better way where you can make the cake and you can eat it. You can look good, you can perform, and you can live long without, you know, without, you know, uh, without self-inflicted injuries in the weight room. Again, fitness is, supposed, fitness is supposed to help you, not hurt you. And if it's hurting you and you're going to get treated, something is wrong with your program. Injury rates are sky high and we need to do more to reduce them. And at the end of the day, numbers... Yeah, sure. Numbers aren't going to lie, but numbers never tell the full story because maybe someone can put up a great squat on a, you know, a tendo unit or something like that. But there's a way to cheat a tendo unit and make it look like you're moving it quicker than you actually are if you're, you know, smart about it. Um, there's ways that you can kind of fudge the numbers and the numbers won't actually tell the whole story because you're not looking at what the athlete is doing. So you have to always keep your eyes on the athlete. And what happens in a case where the numbers look good, but the athlete doesn't feel good, or the athlete is just like, yeah, you know, I don't feel as strong as someone else. or I don't feel like I move as well as my competition. I don't feel like I'm where I need to be, even though the numbers might show, hey, they are. Numbers don't tell the full story and you have to ultimately at the end of the day, be able to look at how someone moves and say, is this person moving 
like the other athletes they're going to be playing with or playing against because maybe they're strong in the gym, but they don't move well on the field. So at that point, you might have to change what you do in the gym because ultimately your goal is to not make lifters. Your goal should be to make athletes if that's who you're working with. If you're working with a bodybuilder, yeah, by all means, load them up, hack squat, leg press, leg extension, leg curl. That's what they need. If you're working with a power lifter, spend, you know, half an hour each session doing deadlift, half an hour doing bench. That's what they need. But if you're working with an athlete, then you need to make your athletic sessions enhance athletic performance. You don't want to make a good lifter. You want to make a good athlete after all. And what part of making a good athlete entails is keeping them on the field for a long time. The more they're sidelined due to injury, you know, we're running out of time. So before we close out here, I do want to give you the uh, a little bit of time to talk about your uh, pure motion products there, Jorge, because as we've talked, you know, previously, they're very unique. You know, I haven't seen anything quite like an Omega or Omega 360 before. So give me a quick rundown on some, on some of your different products, where people can find them at and, you know, how they can enhance all of the different things that we've been discussing on the podcast thus far today. Well, in, in, in general, you know, I'll tell you this, um, the, most of our, actually all my products uh, are based on, um, you know, on those four foundational physical tasks, lifting, fighting, sprinting, dancing, you know, and if you look especially into lifting construction, you know, uh, it comes down to, to these, these, uh, these, these tools. Uh, you need a, uh, uh, you know, you need a rope, a pulley and a, you know, and a lever, you know, that's to lift that way. Okay. So the landmine training is, is the way that we use levers, you know, to, to, to lift. Okay. Um, and then, we, uh, and, and that's why, you know, I'm so, uh, I bested pretty much the last 15 years developing that category, the landmine training, you know, that's one of it. And then we have seven, uh, I believe that we have seven, uh, we're the only company in the world that we have seven landmine at attachment from the wishbone, which is, well, the landmine category, accessory, the accessory category is divided in two parts, you know, uh, accessories that, you, you know, you can perform bilateral movement and the other is unilateral. Okay, on the bilateral is the wishbone, where the low can be the same on both sides as you perform squat patterns, and the CJ or CJ2, uh, which is, you know, a, a bilateral uh, movement simulating, for example, uh, a traditional uh, hex bar deadlift, but you can also perform angle uh, variations of it. We call it the, uh, for example, the sprinter squat, the ski jump, uh, and, and others. Um, but the whole idea is to keep it all 100% joint friendly. And then we have unilateral movements that we do for, uh, and, and the accessories that support it, which is the, the war hammers. We have a short war hammer, a long war hammer. The difference is with the long war hammer, you can do push, pull, but, but more important, squat pattern, keeping the load on one, one side. And then we have the war hammer, the short, it's a short handle that, you know, it was designed mostly for a uh, push, pull and explosive Olympic lift derivative, like the, you know, the one that we invented, uh, which is the one arm pull to press. Nobody knows that, but uh, that's that's true. And uh, and again, we explain all these movements. We have tutorials, you know, that uh, goes in detail, I suppose, as relate to footprint, handprint, and body alignment. And then when it comes to uh, angular motion, we, that's why we had the Omega. Uh, the Omega was the first generation. Uh, and the reason why, you know, the Omega was to improve uh, your handprint, uh, as opposed to just hold the bar. Uh, it was okay, but you know, once you find better, do better. So the Omega came about, and then uh, recently we came up with the uh, the Omega cousin, which is the Omega 360, 
which allow for better uh, cylindrical motion or rotation uh, as related to the shoulder, hip, and back foot. That cylindrical motion uh, with the Omega 360, I would say improved from 90% with the Omega to 100%, uh, mostly in the lumbar region. The lumbar region by keeping those lumbar vertebra in uh, without uh, you know, in neutral alignment, as opposed to create some potential torsion that that's not desirable. When it comes to um, pulley systems and whatnot, uh, I developed uh, again about 15 years ago what is called the the airfit. The airfit uh, it has a it's a system of uh, pulley and ropes, and multiple uh, attachment that you can you know you can hold onto you know using slings or handles uh, that you can do a lot of body weight movement patterns from push pull rotation. Uh, again, in in in, uh, in, in uh, lower body, but not only is it, you know not, not only has a body weight application, you can also it also work as a cable attachment and sled attachment. Okay? If I'm a personal trainer or strength coach, I want versatility. Okay, it's 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 like the best tool you know for for me. It's one of the best tools ever uh, designed. And then um you know we have specialty core bars you know uh, from the core twelve, and they go from very little core twelve bar to perform again. Uh, rotational angular motion for like choppers in diagonal orbital patterns to, to the core 36. Um, by the way, the core 36 is the same bar that uh, the great cook uh, guy had, which is because uh, we make that for him. He doesn't know that, but we manufacture that for him. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, but if you look at the way great cook Institute used the, the core bar and the way we use it like day and night. Okay. Uh, but again, uh, the core 36 bar was, again designed to perform angular motion either with bands or cable attachment my preference always being cable attachment i love constant resistance i'm not a big fan of well i do uh, variable resistance uh, but i don't know i don't like to depend exclusively on bands and then we have uh you know and then on the specialty core bars you know we go a little longer with the joust and the and mopping the mopping is, is a long bar about the length of a of the barbell uh, my uh, hockey coaches, hockey uh, strength coaches, they love it. They they love mopping, you know, because you know when they when they look at what a hockey player uh, does, you know that pattern, that angular motion relates to to what they do, and and the joust is really one of my favorites. You know, it's it's a way again. To, every core specialty bar that we have is to develop uh, uh, angular strength in the different five the five orbits that I mentioned to you earlier. So there is a purpose in, in everything that we do. I mean, there's more accessory, but that that's, I would say that's that's the bulk. And most of, if not all of these accessories, uh, the movement that it offers are ground-based. You know, we, we seldom perform movement patterns uh, on your ass, sitting on your ass, you know, uh, or, or laying on your back. You know, it uh, or lay on your stomach. Uh, you know, it's not. It's deception, not the rule. Okay, that that's that's really um, what it comes down to. And a lot of these movement, every single one, hundred percent joint friendly. Okay, so if you have any dysfunction by performing the movement in your workout, everything auto corrects. Any dysfunction that you may have, any. Uh, <laughs> I laugh when I hear it's not misfiring. Your muscle is not misfiring. You know, whatever that is. All this dysfunction, imperfection, or imbalances, self-correct. Because the pure motion model, you know, that uses joint-friendly movement using multiple loads, multiple di direction, 
and multiple intensity at the end of the day creates balanced strength. That makes sense? And that, you know, so, 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 so it's a system built from the inside out using movements, you know, rooted in those four foundational physical tasks, as opposed to the existing uh, conventional model, which I call the playbook, was built from the outside in. Okay. And it's the same mindset, mindset of manufacturing. Okay. The way we manufacture stuff, you know, where the parts can come from different parts around the world and then they come together in the assembly line and voila, you got a microphone, you got a computer, you got a car, you got a cell phone. And that works fine if we are creating non living things. But we are dealing with living things. So, that model doesn't work. That's why the 60 model, I don't care. I don't care how much we keep adding. It's like, think about putting together a puzzle. You know, you go to the store, you buy a puzzle, right? And all the pieces fits together, fits perfectly fine. The conventional model doesn't. It, you know, you're always gonna see gaps. You know, when you start looking in, you know, with the magnifying glasses, you're gonna start seeing gaps. And those gaps is what I call collateral damage, okay? In the clinical sector, the most they can do is treat the symptoms. What needs to happen is what's going on in the weight room, which is what I feel Pure Motion has addressed, you know, with, you know, about by taking a step back and saying, listen, these movements, these movements are not, are not sustainable. These movements were designed to win on the platform. People that, you know, invented these sports didn't care about longevity or athletic performance development in other you know, in all the physical tasks. So, so I, for me, that is where, you know, where we can fix a lot of the, um, you know, the problems in our, in our existing model. The question is, do we really want to fix it? Because if we fix it, we solve so many problems that a lot of services will diminish, maybe disappear. And that's a tough question to, uh, to answer personally. I'm all about, again, making the cake and eat it, okay? So if I, and, and, you know, and, and if I can go to bed every night knowing that that kid, that mom, that dad, you know, it's, you know, I did the right thing for them and I can justify it, then, then, then I'll do it. And one of, that's one of the reasons, Daniel, I created a lot of these products or attachment. You know, these are tools, the tools all, all they do is bring to life the method, okay? That's the hardware, okay? What I wanna do that, you know, for this year and forward is to share, finally, you know, open the book and share the new playbook, share the software on how, how it actually works. But by, you know, and, and, and not really making it complicated. Actually, the existing model, the conventional model, makes simple so complex i think the other way i take complexity and make it simple so it's, a, it's two different mindset two different mindset so uh i you know what if you let me i can talk here all night all, you know all day all night but i don't want to do that i want to <laughs> say i want to say uh more for uh for later well i think you you know you really hit it home there when you said that it's a toolbox and you've developed a whole system of tools. And if you take those tools and you put them in the hands of enough PT, strength and conditioning specialists and the, the works, they'll start to get creative. They'll start to develop things. 
And ultimately, that's what we need right now. We need a bigger toolbox, right? Mm -hmm. One barbell alone is not necessarily the answer to everything. Yeah, you can do a lot, but if you expand your toolbox, then you'll be able to do so, so much more. And the, the thing is, if the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, every problem you run into is going to look like a nail. So as long put, as long as the tool adapts to you, bring it. Yep. If it's redundant or it doesn't it doesn't adapt to you, throw it away. But that's another thing, Daniel. There's a lot of tools out there that are just redundant. And trainers and clinicians, you know, they 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 work very hard to earn a living, you know, and and this is another topic, but they have how do they know who is who is legitimate? You know, with what they what he or she has to offer with what I call posers. There's so many posers out there, you know, selling you what I call quacks, you know, selling you these gadgets, you know, with you know, with these claims. And if you don't have a, a model to go by, a system, a method to go by, you don't know if what you are listening or watching, if it's legit or not. And 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 I see a lot of young trainers, I was a victim of that, you know, or going to these, you know, conferences. You know, and and this is how it works. You know, you have the presenter and then, you know, he or she presents this gadget and do a lot of stuff with the gadget. And who is behind? The distributors, you know, selling the gadget at a discount. And you get so excited, you get emotional. And then at the end, you, know, you pull your credit card that is almost maxed out and you buy the gadget. And then you go home and say, okay, well, uh, and you, you know, pass, time passes and you realize, I really didn't need it, you know? So understanding, you know, understanding, you know, uh, how justifying your toolbox. That's another way of saying it. Justify your toolbox, why you have it. It's a user-defined. Yes, keep it. Okay. Is it redundant? Yeah, throw it away. Or if you can, you know, sell it. Okay. Because I mean, uh, people ask me, why you don't have kettlebells? I don't use it. I don't need it. I use dumbbells. I get more out of dumbbells than kettlebells. Is, is that mean that kettlebells are bad? No. No, just, as long as you can justify, use it, use it, okay? But again, you know, you have to understand where, where kettlebells can, you know, can come from, when, when, why it happened, you know, just because Russians do it, do I need to do it? No, I don't. I'm Puerto Rican and I have a choice to, to, to use it or not. Yep. You see what I'm saying? Yep, 100%. Jorge, as we wrap up here, uh, where can people find out more about you, Pure Motion, you know, website, social media links, where are you at? You can you can find us at puremotion.net, Instagram, puremotion, uh, uh, puremotion official. We are on Facebook, even though I don't do a great job there. And uh, I can't keep up Twitter and I don't do it. I don't do TikTok. So I should, I, I get it, but I don't. So those are the main three. I was going to say, you know, dancing was one of your four core things there. So I, I figured you'd be dancing on TikTok here before long, Jorge. Well, I've been told about it, but uh, honestly, Daniel, uh, you know, we are a very small family and uh, it's, we, we are very passionate about, uh, about, you know, uh, education, uh, creating uh, services product with purpose, you know, and uh, it, there's an area that I, my Achilles tendon always being the marketing part, because I mean, uh, um, I'm not saying it's needed, it's, 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 you know, definitely, you know, I always needed to work on that, uh, even though we're getting better, but we always can do better. 
but uh, it's personally, you know, as I'm aging, you know, it's hard for me to keep up with all this technology, especially social media. But yeah, PureMotion.net, PureMotion official on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, also PureMotion. Uh, I'm very easy to reach out. If you go to the website, Daniel, you know, you test them of that. You know, you can you send me an email, you know, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a number there too. You can reach out. So uh, those are the best channels. And if I don't respond, like, Right away, you know, just be patient, but I, I usually do. Yeah, definitely. And we'll link to all of that below in the description. So if you missed any of that, you can just click there and check out everything Pure Motion has to offer. And we should have a unique discount code too. So if you do want to start, you know, getting your hands on any of the different uh, pieces of equipment that Jorge and his team at Pure Motion have developed, you'll be able to get them at a slightly lower price. Jorge, as always, it is such a pleasure to talk with you. You are a wealth of knowledge and information, and you are a true, uh, I'll call it a true rebel in the field of strength and conditioning who's not settling for good enough and constantly working to push the industry forward in a new direction. I really appreciate your time and everything you've shared with us today. Thank you, Daniel. And um, thank you for the opportunity and look forward to uh, keep working with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.